this is Brandy Wilson. And Jessica Smith. And this is Hashtag Facts Matter. Thanks for joining us today. We actually have a pretty packed and a little bit longer than usual uh, podcast. We're pretty excited, though. We have um, only a couple things for today. One, we have a big interview with council member Kim Bergell. She went and did the homeless challenge in our community. Um, and so we talked to her for about 20 minutes and she shared with us a little bit about her experience. And so we're excited to share that with you. And we also were going to talk a bit about a syringe exchange issue that's going on in our community that um, a lot of the language around it is really concerning and sort of the way that policy is being created is also a bit concerning. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, we're uh, really happy to have you all back. Um, this is our second on-air guest, so that's really exciting. Yeah, that too. We're going to hopefully keep going with this trend of having people come and talk with us. So that's very exciting. Yay! Thanks for joining us. All right, so on today's episode, we are talking with council member Kim Bergell. Really nice to have you here, Kim. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to talk to you a little bit today about the homelessness challenge that you did. Uh-huh. Um, I know you talked a little bit about it in um, some local media, so we'll, we'll sort of dive into hopefully some different questions. Okay. But if you could just maybe remind us um, like what the challenge was, where you heard about it, um, why you wanted to participate. Yeah, so the challenge, I heard about it at a council meeting. Vernon Price came and invited all council members and apparently Board of Supervisors as well to participate. Um, it was a way to be able to I, to bridge what's going on with what our opinions are, I think. And so the reason that I did it is I feel like experiential learning is really important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I go out with the fire department. I go out with the police department. I went out with the homeless challenge. The idea was to go out for 48 hours, mm-hmm. um, and I did not go out for 48 hours. I went out for almost one night. I went from like 11.30 till 4.05 a.m. is when I got home. Okay. So I didn't. I chose to come home. Um, and I really feel like that speaks volumes to just how challenging it is out there. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's not camping. You know, I, I saw a lot of comments. It's camping. You know, anybody could camp for a week, but that's not what it is. It's It's... It's nothing like that. Right. And you you went out, you didn't really have much with you, did you? You No, I brought one blanket, a pack of cigarettes to share with people, just to kind of have some currency, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, I brought my work phone, not my personal phone, so my work phone, uh, and that was suggested to me, and I'm glad I had it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I brought some yogurt-covered raisins. Okay, <laughs> and that's what I brought. Yeah, and that yeah, that's I mean the folks. Oh, and chapstick, the, chapstick. Some of the folks that we see here, that's often all they have, if not less. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's probably a good good way to go about it and start that. Um, and you were the only person who ended up taking that challenge. I believe so. Yeah. yeah, I haven't heard of anybody else that was willing to do it yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you said that you didn't quite make it even a full 24 hours. No. Can you, can you talk a little bit about why, like what, how it went and... Yeah, yeah, I can. So, um, you know, my experience in the beginning was, was good. I mean, 
what I mean by that is that um, I was learning a lot. We were going around. Uh, we did a lot of walking, um, which was really a lot of walking um, mm-hmm. because there was no place for us to be. That was really important for me to understand and to feel. And, and the, the treatment that I got from other people was um, kind of unbelievable. I mean, I kind of knew that I would be treated like garbage, but I didn't realize to the magnitude of what that would look like. Yeah. Um, and I wore a wig because it was suggested to me to wear a wig so that people didn't recognize me because I have a really familiar haircut, shape, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So um, what happened is we ended up walking a lot. Um, I got babysat three different times <laughs> because my guide, that's one thing that the connection does is it puts you with a guide so you're not out there by yourself. But my guide had left and had to do things, and so she put me with different people, um, which was interesting, to say the least. Um, And they were great people. I mean, I learned a new dice game. All of that was great. Um, What ended up happening was, though, she started drinking. My guide started drinking. She started drinking earlier, which is fine, just nipping a bottle, which I can handle. You know, I can deal with that and stuff. But the more the night progressed, the more she started drinking, and she started doing shots, and, you know, and pretty much she got hammered. Mm -hmm. And um, things really escalated in two of the places that we were at to the point where it was not good. I I never felt like my safety was compromised, my personal safety, but of course I spent a lot of time in the marsh also and never felt like my personal safety was compromised. However, um, I really felt like in the short time that I was out that I got a full experience with her, Mm -hmm. uh, where whether that was what she did, which I can identify with is she would go from house to house to people's house because it was raining uh-huh. and so we would be indoors at one house and then you know they'd get sick of us or whatever and we'd go to another house maybe not sick of us but you know we kind of played it that way sure. um and then we ended up coming it was like geez she had a complete meltdown and a huge fight with these people in one house and it just got really ugly and she disappeared for a while and um you know it just got really kind of wonky and um yeah and she ended up you know it was just that whole thing about you know when you're hammered and you're seeing things and it just was and I ended up walking with her and holding her up Mm -hmm. to get her up to wherever we were going which I didn't know where we were going because there was no place to go right and so that was interesting and we did like I said we did a lot of walking with her drunk and she has asthma, so that was another factor that was difficult. And finally, we decided to go to this um, shed that she has her stuff in, mm-hmm. um, which was jam-packed because there's no place to put your stuff. Sure. Right. Um, and so it was damp, and it was dank in there, and I just couldn't, I couldn't sleep. And I just laid in there, and I just thought about all the things, all of the things that I perceived prior to this experience. Like, I never... I mean, I'd considered that there was no place to go, mm-hmm. but I'd never really had and felt the impacts of having no place to go. And, you know, walking at two in the morning on Broadway, trying to find a place to be with a blanket, mm-hmm. um, you know, I realized that there's not places for people to be that are safe, that they can, that they feel safe, you know. And I know that the rescue mission is there and they do a fabulous job, mm-hmm. but some people cannot that they have trauma, they have worry about being sick, their things being stolen, animals, their spouses. There's a plethora of reasons why that doesn't work for everybody. Uh, And so we didn't go that route. Um, 
And so, you know, when I'm when I'm eyeballing AT&T and they're awning like that I'm going to sleep there in the in the light on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is this is too much. And then walking and being wet. Yeah. And yeah. having it be cold and being in this house or uh, sh- excuse me, shed. And I have to tell you, when we showed up at the shed, I was like, holy cow, are we even supposed to be here? Because it was at somebody's house. Right. And I'm like, are we breaking in, you know? <laughs> and she, she had a key. So it was all her stuff in there. But I just sure. couldn't. Um, I was done. The more I thought about it, I just felt so sick to my stomach about, you know, that this is not um, an acceptable way for people to live. And it's arrogant for me to say, well, I know better how they should live because I don't. But I know that for myself... I just felt really bad because I ended up, you know, this is a person that I really cared about. I actually had met her in the marsh before, um, and I still care about her. Yeah. Um, and so it was challenging and hard to realize that, you know, that that's the way it is. Sure. Live is hard, and, and it can be challenging, right? The more mm-hmm. challenging it is, the more challenging. Sometimes our behaviors can make it, right? Just it's compounded yeah well that's why she started drinking shots in the first place is she had some things that she'd set aside and I'd known this of course from the marsh that you know we're all friends but I'm going to steal from you if I need it (laughs) right right Um, and so that had happened she'd set some stuff aside for some children and someone had come in and pilfered her stuff and so Mm -hmm. she decided that she would you know have a few drinks about that and then you know that kind of continued to escalate so yeah it got it got ugly yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to revisit a couple of things that you said. Well, one about having no place to be. Mm-hmm. Did Were you being moved around by police no. or did it just sort of feel like, like she sort of knew like we got to keep moving. If we stay here too long, there might be trouble sort well, of thing. So how it worked was pretty much she'd come to Old Town mm-hmm. to get me. Um, she doesn't hang out in Old Town. She hangs out in a different part of town. Okay. So we ended up, like I said, we went to the boardwalk. We sat there for a while. People treated us like garbage. One lady did smile, and it was, like, so refreshing. It was, like, I felt, like, really good about that. Like, gosh, I want to be her, right? Yeah. Um, and I try to be. But um, we ended up walking all the way to South Eureka. <laughs> wow. That's a walk. It is a, a walk. walk from and Old Town. What I thought was really cool was that this particular, my guide, she, we... We'd actually gone an intentional way to stop at all the little pantries mm-hmm. to collect wow. food. And so when we ended up getting to uh, the cemetery where she had a job to do there, where she was walking some dogs, um, she was able to give food to other people. Mm. And, you know, that generous spirit, that ge- that spirit of community um, was very clear to me in that moment that, you know, people help each other out whether they steal from behind their back or not, there's, right. a, there's a community there. Sure. A survivor community kind of thing. So, Yeah. yeah. That's good to hear the pantries, right? Yes. They, yeah. They, yes. There's a trail. Shout out Cooperation Humble. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody yes. doing the pantry. Yeah, yes. putting things in it. I really That's appreciated awesome. that. And I tried to put that out in the media as well, just how important those are, because yeah. we did take that those roots. Yeah. That's awesome. fantastic. And so you, yeah, you mentioned this again, people just kind of treated you guys like crap. Can you talk a little yeah, bit? Yeah, like... I just, it was kind of like, um, and I felt this way before, so it was very familiar, but it, it was almost as if we were invisible. Sure. Like we didn't exist. Like it wasn't even that they treated us like crap necessarily. It was just like, we were just like nothing. We yeah. were, we weren't there. 
you know? And I was told by my guide, because I have, (laughs) I'm kind of outgoing, Mm -hmm. and uh, she told me, keep your mouth shut, look down, don't look people in the face, uh, and don't smile, and don't laugh. And, you know, that was really hard for me, but I'll tell you, by the end of the evening, I could see how that could really start infiltrating my life. Mm-hmm. Because by the end of the evening, it it had gotten progressively worse. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I'm just. I'm looking at this photo. Our humans of Humboldt photo right behind you, and that's exactly what it's about. Is mm-hmm. this person? You know, people just ignore them, and it's almost worse than having someone tell you something mean or whatever. Or throw a rock at you. Right. It's like, yes, I'm right here. I'm not. A, you know, I'm not invisible. I'm a human being. Yeah. And that part of it was, I didn't like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then what sort of surprising things did you learn about folks living on the street? Well, uh, I don't know that it was necessarily surprising, but what I really appreciated was the community that I felt being being there. Yeah. Um, the way that people took care of each other mm-hmm. was really, um, like we had a guy offer us a tent. Mm-hmm. Um where we're going to put it, I don't know, we didn't have any poles, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Like I said, my guide was giving food away. Um, Some of the things, I think it was more just the impact of it. Like, I always, I knew that there was no place to go in the daytime. I knew that. I mean, we all know that. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, the impact of that, I think, is a lot greater when you're out actually in it. Right. Um, so I got a real sense of what that feels like. And then again, you know, at whatever time it was, 2 a.m., uh, you know, no place to be. Freaking, it's freezing cold. Mm-hmm. We're wet. I have one blanket. There's no place for us to, I mean, we could, I guess we could lay down in the cemetery in the wet grass, but I mean, there's really no place to, to be. And that, um, that was not, it was really uncomfortable and it really impacted me in a way where I just, I felt really bad. Like I just, I feel like we, we need to do more. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, cause I feel like I've been a part of that community, but I feel like I really was letting people down honestly, because there's just so much that's not happening so much that needs to happen. And how are we going to push forward with that? We try and do a day center, the whole neighborhood flips out, you know, it's like, yeah, right. what can we do to build each other up and build bridges? And that's, I've been trying to process that since the whole event. Yeah. Sounds like a lot. It was a right? lot. Right? To, to like, the gravity of understanding what having no place to go means. That's a big understanding. Yes. And the other thing I learned too was that, you know, when we house people, we have to have support. You know, we went to one person's house who I adore, and um, it was cockroach-ridden. In fact, it was so cockroach-ridden that she's disabled, and they had found, one of her friends found a nest in her hair. Because she's, you know, she can't really, and, um, you know, and it was very similar to being at the marsh. It was very similar because people were in and out. It was just, you know, and so in order for people to be successful, I think it's important for us to really have those teachable moments, not in a arrogant snobby like 
you know, you need to learn this way, but in right. a way that we are equal and we just want to support each other into a better or healthier or different might even be a better word. Because mm-hmm. again, I, I don't want to sound arrogant because I really, it, it, it's not about that. Just, you know, asking people, you know, how, how can I help? Can, can I help? Right. You know, and not saying, oh, I think you need to do this. Right. But, you know, is there anything that you might need help with? And that sometimes will get you a long way. Because sometimes that's the hardest part for people is asking for help. It and is. if you're someone who maybe doesn't have a house or you have some other thing that's impacting your life, you become... You have to become really strong and resilient and sometimes feel like, I have to take care of me, period. And it might be really hard to, to ask for that help. And that's my guide. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I used to see that about her before and I see that in her now. And I really tried to stay in touch with her because I really like her. And I just, you know, I can be her friend regardless of how she lives. And that's important. And I, I again, when we were at the marsh, I tried to do that as well. It's when you try and, I don't like to be told what to do. And when you allow people <laughs> the dignity to make their own choices and their own decisions, people go a lot farther and you create yeah. an opportunity for self-worth that way. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We wholeheartedly agree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if people are adults, they should probably be treated like adults. Yes. yes. We have a whole organization built on that sort of mindset. Autonomy. So yay. Yeah. We appreciate that. Um, so you, you know, you got a firsthand experience, um, and you know, there are lots of folks who I think make judgments and have certain beliefs because maybe they haven't walked a mile and they haven't had the opportunity. So like if there was any one or few things that you could tell folks who wouldn't maybe normally empathize with folks living on the street, what, what do you think it's important for them to know? I think it's important just as a blanket rule in life to be kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does it costs you absolutely nothing to say hello to somebody. Absolutely nothing to smile at somebody. Absolutely nothing to acknowledge they exist in their eyeballs. Absolutely nothing and that can make such a positive impact on somebody's life. Just mm-hmm. a small hello like you matter. I mean, you know, I think that a lot of us in our lifetime have had experiences where we felt uh, maybe not exactly the same, but that was something I learned too, is that my guide and I, we had many, our lives are polar opposites. And I could identify so much with her feelings and her struggles and the things that she's had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing is that we're more the same than we are different. And it's really important to look at those similarities and build them from there. Instead of, you know, I don't, I don't know how helpful it is to put other people down to make ourselves feel important or to, um, to put people down because we're so afraid we might catch it. Because mm. um, yeah. many of us are one paycheck away, you know, oh, yeah. really. And so to see that reality can be very painful. And the idea that people can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps uh, is just, it's a ridiculous thing to say. Especially with, we have mental illness here, we have addiction here, we have a lot of things that happen, we have a lot of trauma here, Uh, especially, you know, I think about some women that I've talked to that have had sexual trauma at shelters, uh, been traumatized out in the, you know, living outdoors, trying to do whatever they had to do to live. The expectation that people can just, you know, 
pick themselves up by their bootstraps and just be okay Mm -hmm. is, in my mind, is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's where support and treating people fairly and like human beings comes into play. And I'm not justifying the behavior. Like, I'm not justifying thieving. I'm not justifying any of that. I'm just saying that it's important for us to treat each other like human beings. Mm-hmm. Irregardless. It's, it's complex. People's it lives is. are complex. So you might be doing something that we don't agree with, but to just say, well, stop doing that and get a job and get a house and you'll be on your way is, no. is just kind of ignorant. It really is. Because it's about connection. It's about I see you and I care about you regardless of what you do. Mm-hmm. Regardless. And that's important that people understand that because it can be really ugly. Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't be sorry. Oh, lots of <laughs> crying. It's very emotional. Well, it's just, it's really, it is. It's an emotional um, issue. Yeah. Because, you know, there are children. There's, it's, you know, it's, and it's become, it's growing. This population is growing. And the more it grows, the more we um, seem to, let's shut it off. Like it, you know. Yeah. We just shut people down and shut them out. And it's, it's just not going to help us grow. And it's out of fear. It is. Because it goes back to that, that, you know, we're afraid that it's too close to home. Mm -hmm. We don't want to catch it. Right. Yeah. Which is sad because that fear could maybe lead to empathy instead, instead of just living in the fear and saying, oh, I don't ever want to be that. Like, let me just ignore it or shame it instead of being like, oh my gosh, like maybe that person had a house just last month and got hurt at work and lost their job and didn't have enough savings, which most Americans don't. Like, right. they don't have a chunk of money in their bank account for some sort of, like, catastrophe that might happen. So, yeah. So um, and you had mentioned, too, sort of, um, you know, kind of feeling like we as a community and and city and just maybe in general, even through the country, because the whole country is experiencing high levels of homelessness, Mm -hmm. um, but doing more. Mm -hmm. So this this experience, obviously, you know, you learned a lot from it. Um, It really impacted your life. It seems that way. So how do you think it'll influence you going forward with any sort of city council Mm -hmm. situations? Because, you know, you are a person with some some power. Right. So I'm actually um, a few things. I think that... um, Something that I realized, and I know this, but I realized it even on a deeper level, is um, that, that being punitive is not the answer. Um, and I have voted on things that are punitive. I mean, I really, I have. Um, because I felt like they were the best interest of the whole community. Uh, looking at that now, I think that, you know, maybe we're going to be talking about doing some reassessments on things, and I think that that'll be really important and I and I too I I really believe that people in our community really they don't know what to do Mm -hmm. they want to help but they don't know what to do and what I want to say to that is the way to help isn't to give them five dollars at the mini mart the way to help is to treat people like human beings and develop connections and relationships with people because that's how we grow together it's not about you know the five dollars here or the you know uh, all that stuff is helpful, yeah. but I think the bottom line is just, you know, being kind. And it sounds so silly and so <laughs> simple, but it can be so hard to do when people are afraid of 
you know what they see right Right. and we all have that that currency to give right oh absolutely that's why it is the most important one to give us because we can all afford it yes cost nothing yeah cost nothing and just you know think about how you feel if someone's rude to you or ignores you or whatever and like how that like sort of changes you and maybe ruins your day and then think about if that happens every day right. and you're already like down on your luck, you're already having these other experiences getting chased around by the police or not having a place to go, and then no one's treating you like a human. And folks are like, oh, well, they're rude and they're disrespectful. Well, yeah, if people just ignored me all the time, I'd probably get pretty sick of it too and start being rude and disrespectful. Well, why would you care? Right. right. Yeah. Why would you care anymore? Yeah. 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 I think that we have a population, not all. But I think that we have folks that feel that way. It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, I'm so done. Like, I'm just done. Mm-hmm. You know, I just feel horrible all the time. It's cold. It's this and that. And that's what, something else I wanted to speak to is that I hear often, a lot actually, that it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to speak to that because honestly, it could be for some. Yeah. But I would say that it's a very low percentage because if when you're out there living it, and I was only out there for, you know, not even a full 24 hours. I mean, I was out there long enough in my mind. <laughs> uh, and again, like I said, I spent a lot of time at the marsh. But, you know, people are not going to choose to walk the city all day long and all night long. You know, it's, you're not going to choose to be treated like a piece of garbage. You yeah. know, that's, that's, um, that comes from trauma. That comes from being, you know, put down so many times that you start to believe it right. and something else to consider is that a lot of these women are domestic violence survivors yeah and they are very strong and very resilient and to say things like they made a choice and they're not willing to help themselves I'm sorry that is complete nonsense mm-hmm. these women have done something so good for themselves and now they're stuck yeah. And it's our job as a community, I believe, to support them however we can. And that's why it's important to have conversations. Yeah. yeah. Because people don't always want help. It doesn't matter if they want help or not. That's not what this is about. It's about treating people with respect. And so if they ever do want help, you have that available. That's my take on it. That's what how I've always behaved. And so I would hope more people would pick up on that. <laughs> It'd yeah. be a great thing. It would be helpful. <laughs> it really would. Because we talk about that a lot, too. You know, we, we say that what we do is we build relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we build trust. We say, hey, you may want to do this, that, or the other, or not right now, but we're here. We're your friends. We care about you. Friends, if right? and when you're ready, like, you know. And and I know I've seen that happen just with folks who, you know, started out just, oh, casual small talk, hi, how you doing, mm-hmm. to showing me old photos of themselves or telling me about their lives and their family and their kids. And it's like, you don't do that unless you've built a relationship. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you know what? Even if they never, ever change, Mm -hmm. that's, that's not the point of making the relationships. I, you know, I hear a lot about, you know, people need to get into treatment and I believe that, um, you know, we need to work with people to support them into a different way of living. I believe that. But I also believe that irregardless, if somebody doesn't, can't, which I believe that's what it is, they can't get to that place, whether that's because they feel so horrible about themselves or they just lived it. And that's one other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, I said this to somebody not long ago, is that people that step outside of houselessness, they deserve huge credit. Because 
it's a familiar way to live. And I'm not saying it's the best way to live or the mm-hmm. worst. It's familiar. And when we leave behind what's familiar, it is terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Same with addiction. Change is scary for anybody. Same with addiction, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I give up this, what am I going to be? Right. If I give up this, am I going to lose all my friends? Am I going to lose right. all this stuff? There's a lot at stake, and it's terrifying, and that's why the support is so important, mm-hmm. you know? And I think about people that are housed. Like, if we were to take you, like me, and put me out there for, you know, not even 24 hours, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, I wasn't really scared, but certainly it was not familiar. It was very uncomfortable. I thought a lot of times about, oh gosh, why did I do, <laughs> why did I do this? This is a lot of walking, you know? And just carrying on. So, you know, I think it, it, it's, it goes both ways. Yeah. yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming to talk about your experience. We really appreciate that you tried. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, it speaks volumes. And I really like when you spoke about that there are some things that you're going to revisit. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is. You know, we haven't always seen eye to eye on some things, right? Really? A couple of times, a couple of times that has happened. It's been a few times. And yeah. so I'm really excited that one, you did this, two, you learned what you learned, and three, that you're going to go back and revisit some things. Mm-hmm. Um, yay, Kim! <laughs> it takes all of us. It does. It takes yeah. all of us. Yeah, for sure. And I tell you, I just, I think that, um, you know, we're moving in a really positive direction and we just need to continue doing that. And, you know, being open-minded is key mm-hmm. in sure. doing that. So, and hopefully the county will help us with some property or something. I don't know. I mean, just future now. Yeah, know, yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Collaboration, friends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Kim. You're and welcome. Thanks we for look forward me. to seeing and hearing what comes next. What comes next? So in this segment of our podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Fortuna. Um, Fortuna is about 15 minutes south of Eureka. It is... The city's tagline is, quote unquote, the friendly city. And we believe that, by and large, they're right. There are a lot of friendly people there. Um, unfortunately, there's been some, some real unfortunate things come out of there in the past couple, couple weeks. So let's talk about that. So when we applied to become a state-authorized exchange. Um, We put sort of our wish list of where we plan on working eventually over the next few years. Um, We do not plan on going into any community, nor did we do that in any community that we work, unannounced and without conversation first because it's kind of detrimental and everything is better with consent right (laughs) even syringe exchange (laughs) we like some type of conversation and consent so um we had no plan on just throwing up an outreach table and doing it wherever we wanted um there are a few people that do require our services down there so we do a door-to-door delivery because of many reasons one it keeps 
litter off the ground. People don't have to run into law enforcement when they're maybe bringing it to us. Um, And it also doesn't make an impact on the community itself by having syringe exchange outreach, you know, somewhere a city doesn't want it. But there's barriers to that because folks in like homeless communities and other parts of the community may not, delivery may not be optional for them. So they do need outreach. And there is another program that does outreach there. Um, And so apparently those are the things that sort of upset Fortuna was one, there was an exchange operating there for a while that they didn't know about. Um, That was not us. Uh, and but they were upset about it and that they were concerned that we were going to just start an outreach program. Um, we've had multiple conversations. We have reassured them that we meet everyone where they're at and that includes people who oppose syringe exchange and we will have those conversations um, and we will try to meet you where you're at but by and large preventing the spread of disease and keeping people alive is more important than hysteria that isn't based in fact. Um, People's lives are at risk and it is not the community at large that is at risk with syringe exchange. Um, We've gone through tons of data when we went through this with Eureka and... So some of the things that we found problematic were um, the city of Fortuna is creating an ordinance to regulate syringe exchange to demand that they do one-to-one. So the way that that works is when a city council creates an ordinance and it decides what a city authorized syringe exchange will do, then that authorized exchange by the city must comply with the city's ordinance. Ordinance. However, if your authorizing body is a county or state entity, the city ordinance is not your authorizing ordinance. Now, that being said, again, we understand the importance of being good neighbors and having those conversations. And so we continue to really voice the idea that we are going to meet you where you're at and we will do our best to... Um, to really sort of go along with your ordinance as best we can, but let's talk about the one-to-one for a minute. Yeah, so the biggest issue with one-to-one, I mean, besides that it's not rooted in any sort of data or research, one-to-one isn't shown to prevent disease, the spread of disease, and it's also not shown to prevent syringe litter. There's no indication that one-to-one is going to improve syringe litter if um, based um, compared to a needs base. Secondly, we have, as syringe exchanges, all syringe exchanges, um, and anybody who really deals with syringes, medical um, folks as well, we are bound by specific 
laws um, related to OSHA and, and safety, really, because folks who do syringe exchanges, folks that work in healthcare and hospitals, they are more likely to be stuck by a needle. So this is why we can't open containers. We cannot open a sealed container and pull out syringes one by one and count them as a one for one. And so there are those folks who come in with syringes that are you know, not in a sealed sharps container and they can count out their 10 or 15 or 20 syringes. But when people come in with containers full, 100, 200, 300, there's no way to count those one by one. And so one of the other reasons that they said they are going to require a one-to-one is that it prevents hoarding. I, I'm not sure where that information came from, but we haven't seen anything to that effect. And I know that the public health officer and uh, they tried to express to them that in fact, this isn't hoarding. We live in a rural community with real transportation barriers. And people may not be able to get to the exchange every day, every week, every two weeks. And so that isn't hoarding, right, with all recycling. So if someone was doing recycling, some people take their recycling in weekly, some take it in monthly. A lot of it depends on where you live and how accessible that is. The same can go for syringe syringe use. Right. Um, how far away from a station are you? How much do you use? All of that depends. And so that word hoarding, I think, is really just a stigmatizing word to sort of create hysteria to help promote this one-to-one policy. And think about folks with other health concerns or diseases that require medication or even syringes right folks with diabetes or people who get prescribed medicine they don't get prescribed one at a time and say hey you've got to come back every single time you need one of these things they get a certain amount based on you know how often they can get that prescription refilled how often they're able to get to the um like a cvs or their doctors or whatever it's really just like any other health condition you want to make sure that you have the supplies that you need if you're not going to be able to get to them regularly. And like Brandy said, being in a rural place, transportation is often an issue. And I believe the syringe exchange that already operates there was only there once a week anyway. So yeah. it's already limiting for folks. Yeah. And, you know, we saw Mike Pence put barriers and use some of this similar rhetoric in Scott County, Indiana, a couple years ago. And then they became the hotbed of an HIV outbreak and a national conversation and crisis. And I don't know with our current space in the media that we also want to be the hotbed of California's HIV outbreak. I just think that's bad planning for not only our community, but the members of it that are greatly affected by it. So, the reason why we're a little stern about this one this time um, is because there are things that have been said, and we're going to talk about them directly and blatantly today. That's not generally how we go about these things, but this council member isn't receptive to conversation. And so, it started a few weeks ago, a month ago maybe, Um, Dean Glasser 
is a council member in Fortuna. And when syringe exchange was a conversation at council, he stated, we shouldn't give a hundred needles to an addict. We should give him one. And if he shares it, so be it. So that was the first and least horrid comment he has said. The most recent one that is in our Redwood Times is at the last council meeting where they're discussing syringe exchange. Council member Dean Glasser, quote, states, if you were on a ranch and you had mad cow disease, these people would all be put down. Glasser said about Humboldt County drug addicts. Unfortunately, we follow humanitarian boundaries in our society, so we're not allowed to do that. Now, in a community where over the past 18 to 24 months, there has been violent rhetoric, there has been hateful, targeted backlash, there has been death threats, there have been homeless people killed, there are people hunted and beat up. There are people found dead frequently. Dog whistle techniques calling for the eradication, essentially, right? Like that's some underlying, mm, too bad they don't all just die. Now in a community where we do have an undercurrent of vigilantism on occasion, I think that is careless at best. At the very best, that's <laughs> careless. And to have that be someone with power, to sit on a dais and say that about part of your community, that needs to be evaluated. It needs to be evaluated by your community. I think there are many, many more places that needs to be evaluated. And I think maybe as a community... We need to demand that statements like this are in no certain terms okay. And it's not okay and it's really hard because it it resonates and mimics the larger narrative right now. Like look at the sort of things that our president says. So it's it's almost makes sense that somebody like this would be in power and have a platform to say things like this. And it does not make it okay. The first part of his statement is awful, but the really the second part, the unfortunately we follow humanitarian boundaries. So we can't eradicate them essentially. It's literally some Hitler shit. Like I just I couldn't believe it. I I couldn't believe it. And the fact that there are community members who obviously voted for this person. No, well, yeah, but they ran unopposed. Oh, that's right. Someone said on the glorious crap hole that is Facebook, <laughs> um, someone said that is a Fortuna resident said, well, what do you expect? No one, everyone in Fortuna ran unopposed. So... Fortuna is unchecked, no oversight. Dear God, run for office. <laughs> if you are a Fortuna resident, please, please start paying attention to your city council members because they are, this person is essentially asking for violence against a portion of your community. Community members who do vote, 
who do have a say in what happens, who has, who have rights just like everybody else. And that it, we can't stand for that sort of thing. Right. And we know what unfortunately means. I say that crap all the time too, (laughs) but I'm never calling for unfortunately people. We can't just kill them all. I don't, you know, whoo, man, boy, you got some nerve. Um, so then let's move along a bit more to an equally conservative but less horrific statement made by Councilmember Mike Johnson. Now, all he did was refer to Senate Bill 689. And... What that bill would do is it would allow cities to prevent syringe exchange programs from operating within their city limits. Um, Redwood Times states here that the bill is still moving through legislature. Now, we've done a little bit of background work on this. We have found that not only is it moving, well, it's sitting in legislature. It has not been agendized. It doesn't have much support. There's really only two communities in California, and um, there are a number of large organizations opposing this, and it's probably not going to make it through two houses, um, especially in our current administration. And then, I don't know that our new Gavin Newsom... I don't know <laughs> that that's something he's going to sign. He's real pro life. disease prevention, <laughs> <Not> <laughs> pro like human things living. Yeah. Um, so we're going to watch and see, but do trust and believe we're in action on that one. Because mm-hmm. we love action. We're good at it. We do lots of advocacy here. I think folks think we're just... Throwing syringes. and flinging, flinging needles, but uh, we spend a lot of time advocating for things that improve the quality of life for everybody, including our consumers. And when things like this get brought up, we don't just let it slide by. There's definitely mm-hmm. some investigating to make sure that we're doing all we can to stop something like that that would not improve anybody's life, but in fact make a potential health, public health crisis. Yes. Yeah, so in fact, we are not only bitching about it on this podcast (laughs) but we are also submitting letters to the senate and health committees because well we have some amazing groups in the harm reduction movement that really make sure we all are on the top of our game so thanks for the tools harm reduction coalition so we have some letter writing happening and We also are about to organize a real good action to get a hold of Dean Glasser. And maybe we'll go ahead and put that information in our podcast details, um, his office phone number and his email, and maybe even a link to a form letter, a Google Drive link to a form letter that you can use and then send to him. We're going to hook you all up in what to do and how to do it. Now, the one thing that is in this lovely, and thanks for this article, Redwood Times. It was kind of great and super informative. So there was one person who spoke up and sounded like she cared about humans. And that was the new mayor, Sue Long. 
Um, She reminded counsel that the problem of addiction is hard to wrap your head around if the problem feels unfamiliar. Thanks for that. Thanks, Mayor Sue. Mm-hmm. Um, really just a good reminder to get to know your neighbor, not to pass judgments that that person who uses drugs that you think is meaningless and doesn't deserve to live probably has a family, definitely has some parents, maybe likes to garden just like you, and maybe likes to go to the fair just like you. And they're human beings, and it is, addiction is a complex medical issue, and we always don't always know why someone is where they're at, how they got there, what they plan to do next, but it doesn't mean that they're any less. They're still a valuable human being. And for a really exciting part of our podcast is, it is sponsored in part by the Syringe Access Fund a collaborative of the AIDS United, Elton John AIDS Foundation, the H. Van Emerigen Foundation, the Levi Strauss Foundation, and the Open Societies Foundation. We thank them so much for helping sponsor our podcast. Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Bye.